Hello, friends. Hope this beautiful spring day finds you high and dry and you have a figurative and literal spring in your step. Lots of stuff going on in this beauty of a state that we call South Dakota, so we're going to get right at it. First, I've got a couple of interviews talking about the water that our friends in the Sioux Falls area are nervous about. I've got GFP Park Supervisors Jeff Van Meteren and District Park Supervisor Jason Bauman talking about park closures, what they have to do uh, when the water is high and what they have to look for for the near future. Then I've got GFP Wildlife Regional Supervisor Emmett Kieser, who's also a, a virtuoso on the bassoon, and Outdoor Campus East Director Thea Miller-Ryan to talk about the campus and the water that's been in their neighborhood and maybe coming back to their neighborhood. And then to wrap everything up, I've got Northeastern South Dakota Fisheries Program Manager Mark Ermer with a really cool interview talking about the lakes up in his neck of the woods and really all of our lakes and uh, the concern about winter kill and what we're looking for for when the ice comes off, condition of the lakes, and really winter kills and what can or can't be done to prevent them. That is a fire interview with him. He's uh, He is an energetic dude and a good dude at that. How can time fly just pass by without saying hi to me? How can time fly just pass by without saying bye to me? Welcome, welcome, welcome to this edition of the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast. I'm your host, guest, messenger, whatever you'd call me, Chris Hull. I'm here today on a melting <laughs> March day. I know a lot of South Dakotans are very happy for the melting, but I'm here with Game Fishing Parks Regional Supervisor Jeff Van Meteren and Jason Bauman, who's a district park supervisor down in the southeast corner, and we're here to talk about water. Guys, thanks for being here. I appreciate the heck out of it. So let's just talk about, uh, Jeff, we'll start with you. Let's talk about um, some of the current closures we've had down in your area regarding state parks. Yeah, so last night we we worked um, trying to assess which areas we felt we needed to close based on some of the forecasting information we were getting that is currently indicating um, we're going to get... Uh, you know, some pretty significant meltdown from the northeastern part of the state, along with some potential rain on Friday. Um, that will all be coming down the Big Sioux River drainage um, and the tributaries that, that pour into that drainage. So at this point, we've kind of focused in on Sioux Falls south to Sioux City. And the areas that we have uh, along that are Palisade State Park, which is split, fed by Split Rock Creek, or Split Rock Creek runs through it, I should say. Uh, Big Sioux Recreation Area, which is right on the Big Sioux River, uh, and, and almost annually floods. Um, and then Beaver Creek uh, Nature Area, just south of Brandon. And then moving down the river, uh, south of Sioux Falls, we have uh, Gooder State Park. We didn't close the park, but we closed the lower trails at that park. And then uh, Lake Alvin, which is nearby, which is part of the drainage for the Big Sioux River. And then um, down at Newton Hills, we, we've closed our lower horse camp area, which is right across the road from the Big Sioux River and, and historically right. floods in that area. And then also Lake Lakota, which is prone to flooding every year. So talk about, uh, you know, those partial partial closures uh, on, the, on the ones 
Jason, that we're, we're closing completely. What what kind of, I mean, I think everybody's seen seeing this iconic shot of uh, Falls Park, which is not under our jurisdiction, but seeing that water really roll through. Um, what's the reason for closing, like completely closing those parks? Sure. Well, the park right now that we're completely closing is Big Sioux Recreation Area, which lies right along the Big Sioux River. Um, you know, as Jeff uh, noted, that it does float flood almost annually but uh, this year with the expected flow it's going to be unprecedented and uh, right now our biggest concern is the people stay safe kind of stay away from the river and uh, you know majority of the parks going to be underwater there's really not going to be too many usable parts of the park right. so there's really no use to keep it open until the flood water recedes and we can clean up and invite the public back in uh, either one of you uh, anticipating any more of the closures maybe going north you know, we, t we talked about that this morning, um, kind of a little executive session on that. And I think at this point, we want to get down the road a little bit further with the weather forecast and the rain. The, maybe the good news is we don't own a lot of properties upstream. Right. It is going to have an impact on communities like Baltic and Del Rapids that do have parks in Flandreau, do have significant parks in their communities. But in terms of the department-owned land, we just don't have a lot of areas up there. Right. What about, and I know uh, you guys have probably worked harder on, on this project uh, than anything, the, the kayak trail that you guys have been working on. Um, there are some campgrounds or campsites there and, and you know, some of those portages and stuff. You talked about that at all in, in any way? Or? We did close that area as of this morning as well, and I should have mentioned that, Chris. Um, yeah, the Jay Heath uh, Canoe and Kayak Trail yeah, is completely closed and obviously that that's in the whole stretch from Sioux Falls all the way down to Sioux City so right now we're asking people just to refrain from using that. Yeah don't go whitewater kayaking. Yeah asking, that's right. right. Awesome. Um, so at this point um, I, I know you guys are, are uh, you know we just had some media training here and and you guys are kind of popping in and out and <laughs> I'm sure your phones are going crazy. Talk about like the updates. Where are they coming from? How often are you getting them? Um, you know, do you anticipate any like, whoa, we, we really got to roll on something here? What's the standard operating procedure when something like this comes? Well, the good news is, um, you know, in this data age that we live in, right. we get tremendous modeling and uh, data information points from like the National Weather Service. And, and um, you know, we, for example, this last week, um, when we had all the uh, rain and snow event in the state, um, uh, Big Sioux River actually hit uh, a higher crest um, than I believe we had in 1997, or, or it was right at that. So we experienced one of the higher levels we had down there. Um, and, and we could see that modeling, and, and it was extremely helpful information. So we'll, we'll be looking at those uh, sources. Um, you know, the U.S. Geological Service, I believe, has some information, but primarily the National Weather Service. And then, obviously, just watching what happens. I think one of the key things will be how fast it warms up and how much rain we get. Um, if we get daytime temperatures in, in that 30-degree window uh, up north where all the snow is, and I think they, right now, they're saying there's about six to eight inches of moisture up there. And it's, it only gets up to 30 degrees during the day and then it freezes at night and it's a real nice, gentle, slow melt. We'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll be in better shape. But if we get 50 degree days and a lot of rain, it, it could get kind of severe. So for all our listeners who are really cheering on those 50 degree spring days, let's mow that for a little bit and give us a couple of weeks. Of 
of, uh, of just gradual melt. Uh, Jason, let's talk about just quickly uh, in place and, and you know the standard operating procedure of you know we've got uh, guys and gals that are, are working hard in our parks that are probably always have some of this flooding in mind but talk about what you have to do to even get a park maybe ready to close and what you're doing while it's closed and who, who else are you working with other than your park staff? Sure. Well, obviously we're talking about parks right now, but we also rely on wildlife as well. Um, you know, we close some of these park areas. We want law enforcement is going in there, patrolling these areas once they're closed to make sure that people are abiding by that closure. Um, that's important. Townships, obviously townships roads are really affected um, by this and parks are fed by township roads, county roads, state roads. So we work with DOT in the county and, and um, all those agencies really to, to keep these parks open. And you know, if we need to help them, we're willing to do that. And I know they're willing to help us when we need it. Uh, Jeff, we talk a lot about you know the upkeep of the parks and everything like this. But when we get these high road, high water situations, flooding situations, and maybe water comes up across a road and really degrades a road, uh, I know there's some joint jurisdiction and there's and there's some kinds of kinds of that stuff. I've sat sat in in a lot of meetings where I've heard uh, you and other park supervisors talk about just the cost of these roads in our parks and and. Just talk about kind of some of those, you know, working together with, with some of these other agencies and counties and townships and stuff. I mean, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, roads are expensive. Um, one of the most expensive things we have to uh, maintain in our parks, and, and we dedicate a lot of our uh, monies towards those roads and upkeeps. Uh, and, and those are all coming from the, the user fees and, and payments that our, our users are, are making to use our folks our parks like campers and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, most of the roads in our campgrounds and in our park facilities are state-owned. But like Jason was suggesting, we do have a lot of cooperative agreements with counties and townships uh, in particular that bring people to that park entrance. And, you know, they're, they're written such that we usually have to pay a percentage and, and, sure. and those are things we we obviously uh, value. Um, that's why we entered into those agreements. Uh, we're, we're um, you know, we're, we want to work with those agencies to sure. to maintain those roads, and that'll be one of the interesting things when this is all said and done. Like every spring, when we experience <laughs> these springs, we'll have to walk back and kind of assess where we're at and see what we have to fix. Things that probably weren't budgeted. Um, that's sure. that's what really is tough. Um, so, excellent. Talk about where do we go from here? What's you know the impact on just the upkeep and your and your summer preparations? What are you expecting at this point, and how how does that push things back? Push your timetables back, and what can you know visitors down in in your corner of the woods expect to see? Well, right now I guess we're not really sure. The right. water hasn't arrived yet. Um, you know they're predicting uh, you know a very high crest, but we're hoping that it doesn't happen. So. You know, right now, trails are the, probably the biggest impact, I would say. Um, fortunately, they're, you know, probably some of the easiest to fix. Um, it is relatively early in the year. Um, so, you know, the water could come up and recede and really not have a lot of summer impact. Um, we just don't really know right now at this point. And it really depends, too, on how long the water is going to to stand, you know, on our park properties. You know, if it's a long-term event, um, obviously that's going to start pushing some timetables back. But if it's quick up, quick down, 
we can get out there and do these repairs. Um, you know, there may not be any impact on the summer at all, but the, the longer the duration this event is, the, you know, it's going to get pushed back further and further. Sure. But at this point, we just don't know. Sure. Um, you know, and I, and I know you, 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 you too well enough to know that you guys got some really good guys and girls that are, are seasonals and full-time staff and stuff. And, and, uh, they, they bring their work home, whether they probably should or not. And there, there are a lot of worry about that, but you know, talk about is, is there some kind of training and stuff that you guys go through to kind of walk some of these employees through, you know, what we have to do, you know, like maybe even just some standard operating procedures or, or I, I know there's a lot of like, okay, we've got to go and, and we've got to do these things. Um, just talk about some of the people you got on the ground and what they may or may not be doing as far as. Sure. Well, we have maintenance staff, um, you know, assigned to each one of these parks and majority of these maintenance staff have been there long term. Um, they're very skilled at what they do. Um, they're kind of jacks of all trades and that includes grounds up, keeping trails and so on. You know, some of the trails are going to be harder or easier to fix compared to what they are compared to a limestone trail to sure. a, a mode trail and where it's at. But, uh, you know, if it's, again, if it's really bad, we may have to look at hiring some additional people to help out, um, at least in the short term. Um, but as of right now, we'll go through our seasonal orientation like we always do. Uh, we'll assign maintenance staff and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll put the staff that we need to, to get it fixed and ready for the summer for the public. Cool. You know, I think, like Justin said, we're blessed to have uh, staff that can do this kind of stuff, and safety will be one of the key things. You know, we not only want to keep our visitors safe, but we also want to keep our staff safe. Um, dealing with big trees that that move into your parks as right. a result of flooding and that, some sometimes those things you got to be careful with, moving them around, equipment and all that stuff. But the other thing we're blessed with every year, it seems like, is especially in that Sioux Falls area, we have a couple parks, Palisades and Big Sioux, that are closed right now, where we have volunteer groups that come on and help our staff clean up the trails. And Jason's very familiar with that because he was the manager of Big Sioux. And um, that's an annual event almost uh, there. And uh, we're grateful to those groups that they're willing to do that. I think that... I think that I've been with the department, I think, 13 years, and it amazes me that the the way you in the, in the park side of it, or the way we in the park side of it utilize volunteers is, is pretty amazing that the, the number of people that step up and, and take, you know, some even ownership in the, that park. And, the, and it's the same people year after year. And it's, it's a pretty cool thing. You know, some of these parks are ingrained in the local communities as far as Gerritsen and, and Brandon and Sioux Falls and Canton. And they really value the park. They do take ownership in the park and they take pride in how the park looks. So when, you know, there's something like this that happens, they really step up and, and really help. It's greatly appreciated. And it's even things for trash that gets brought in by the flood is unbelievable and get people to come out there and help that. But yet they'll want to organize, you know, groups that come out and help us make repairs on the trails and, and pick up, you know, branches and stuff. So right. it's, they're very valued by the, by the parks for sure. Right. Jeff, finally, we're going to let you guys uh, get back on the road and probably go to work. Uh, to take care of or help take care of some of this stuff. But talk about those real high flows at, um, you know, down in your neck of the woods, coming out of the dam, um, specifically how it's affecting, you know, Springfield, Pearson Ranch, Lewis and Clark, White Crane. Yeah, last last week we had an unusual uh, event happen with, with all the, the rain, the uh, three inches of rain we received in the local area. Um, 
the, the dam breaking in Spencer, Nebraska, that all feeds into the Missouri River. So Lewis and Clark Lake actually reached its highest point ever at 1212.3, which is actually 2.3 feet over their spillway uh, height. So it was something we've never seen before. No one's ever seen before. Um, the good news is we had no wind really at the time. Um, so we just had a lot of lowland flooding for the most part, mm -hmm. especially at Lewis and Clark. Really nothing downstream. Um, you know, they were releasing over 100,000 CFS out of that dam that normally this time of year is probably somewhere around 25,000. Oh, wow. So four times. But keep in mind in 2011, there's 160,000 CFS right. going out of that dam. So it's something sadly we're familiar with. Uh, but one of, the, one of the areas that really got hit the worst in terms of physical damage for us was actually Springfield Recreation Area. Um, lots of ice got pushed into that park along with the high waters. Uh, it literally leveled a picnic shelter we had there, took the legs out from underneath of it, uh, filled our vault toilets, filled our fish cleaning stations. Um, you know, I'm, I'm guessing we may have some road damage. The good news is we had a road project scheduled there for this <laughs> summer, so we'll get that fixed up. Lost a boat dock into the lake. We've since found it now that the lake's gone down. Um, so we'll drag that out of the bottom of the lake and, and put it up on the ramp. How do you find a lost sunken boat dock? <laughs> Luck? Yeah, well, uh, you know, it was, it was, they don't usually move that far because right, they're pretty right. heavy and, and it was just out there deep enough where when the water was that high, um, and now that it's gone down three feet, we, we were able to see it. So, sure. yeah. So that had raised three feet that quickly. That's amazing. And, and I think most of the people have seen some of that footage yeah. down in Nebraska and, that's the first thing I saw when I saw it. I was just like, oh, those boys down there thinking of you guys going, oh, I bet they're up and <laughs> yeah. up and at it. So thank you guys for your time. I hope it wasn't too painful. Uh, this is all good stuff and stuff that we're, we're um, you know, being asked about. And uh, best of luck this spring. Stay dry. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. How can time fly just pass by without saying hi to me? Flying just best by that same bottom. Yeah. All right, here with two of my favorite people with Game Fishing Parks and two of the other people who this podcast is probably to blame. I'm <laughs> here with a regional uh, supervisor for the Wildlife Division, Emma Kieser, and Thea Miller Ryan, who is the head honcho at the Outdoor Campus East. Normally, we're always talking about tons of fun stuff when we're talking about the outdoor campus and stuff, but today I want to talk about water. You guys tired of talking about and looking at water? Pretty sick of water right now, Chris. <laughs> We've seen a lot of water this last week in Sioux Falls, so yeah, pretty concerning. Just from the rain and causing all the melting, is that is that the ultimate? Is it plug storm sewers? I mean, um, Well, the water's coming up kind of from every direction, so the rain really came down it was only about two and a half inches but it came down on top of a lot of snowfall and then it got warm and it started melting and the rain on top of everything it couldn't sink into the ground and um, rain started water started coming from the north and just kind of a secret combination right. of of a bunch of factors that made uh, Sioux Falls flood this week Let's talk about the campus building. What kind of effects have we had on the campus and the regional offices? You know, the uh, campus building and, and uh, the Butterfly House that's co-located there in Sertoma Park, uh, we're both high and dry. 
when those buildings were built, they were built uh, both about five feet above, uh, at least at that time, what was the uh, max known 100-year uh, flood level. <laughs> and uh, so we, have we to laugh uh, at that. <laughs> we were about 30 inches, uh, uh, had about 30 inches of freeboard from the uh, water that was in the parking lot on the road, uh, had uh, actually about four feet of water over our entrance road into the park. So, But uh, both buildings, I think, uh, came through uh, just fine, uh, didn't have any issues. Had a few concerns about some vehicles that were parked in our parking lot. We were able to get those moved to higher ground. But, uh, you know, overall, uh, it uh, did uh, prevent us from, from being able to enter our building and, and use our facilities and, and operate programs uh, for about three days, uh, from Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But uh, things are uh, looking a little bit better, and uh, the city has uh, just done a marvelous job. The city of Sioux Falls uh, Street Department and, and their public works folks, the city, city park staff of really been a godsend to us down there to help uh, prevent uh, any further flooding. It seems to me like you missed the opportunity to have a bow fishing class there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was kind of hoping that the, the ice on top of our little pond there would just stay down and the flooding would go over it. But as, as they say, the cork popped. So, um, you know, I think there will we will have some loss of fish there. Sure, I was just going to ask that. And, and those fish are fish that are employees... Just stock. bring in yes. through normal operation. Yeah, we normally use that pond for fishing education, so people can catch all different kinds of fish, and we can teach them how to catch it, cook it, clean it. Right. Yeah. What about, I know you guys, and it's awesome there, um, just the different landscape that you've got out back, not only the pond, but all the grasses and that kind of stuff. And talk about what a flood event would do to, do we have to start over and plant a bunch of switchgrass and CRP grass or, or does that stuff come through it pretty well? Or You know, that's the good thing about uh, native grasses. They're pretty resilient to floods, especially this time of year. Uh, the ground is frozen and so the water just uh, laid on, on the ground uh, temporarily. Um, you know, our, our uh, place that we're gonna plant a new food, food plot, actually a pollinator plot, uh, it's been a um, an annual pollinator plot the last couple of years. Um, will be planted uh, permanent cover this year, and and that's had temporary water on it. It's just about all gone now, and and that's going to come through just fine. We'll have to let it uh, dry out, obviously, to uh, to uh, before we can plant. But uh, our other plots of native grasses uh, down in that area, um, they've just had temporary water on them, and and so as that water dissipates, uh, they'll dry up and. And uh, a lot of those cool season grasses that are components of those native grass plantings will, will start to grow. The oxbows themselves are just ideal wildlife habitat and part of the reason why our building is situated there. It's just a beautiful part of uh, the uh, City of Sioux Falls Park Complex and, and uh, these uh, oxbows uh, provide lots of uh, wildlife habitat for wood ducks and we've got turkeys down there, a lot of deer, a few um, pheasants from time to time. Lots of songbirds and, and other various uh, critters as well. So, any tree damage or what about like the bridge going across? Any of that stuff? Or I see Thea wince. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the bridge the bridge has been kind of um, deteriorating over the last few years anyway. But when the water comes, it rises with the water, and so we're not sure how much is left in the ground. Right. So I we haven't declared it yet, but that bridge is probably going to be off limits for. Um, the foreseeable future until we can get that replaced. Really it's pretty Legos. tippy. Can I come and build a Lego bridge? <laughs> yeah, you'd have to walk in the oxbow though, and no, that water smells so bad. And, and I know, I know, Emmett. You said you, you saw some of the 
the wildlife via your crew does a great job with the the trail cam yeah um that's one of my favorite things i always look for that good but you said that like a lot of the critters probably bugged out but you saw a turkey pecking around in the back yeah the they, door. yesterday <laughs> i saw one yeah yep, th- we have a kind of our pet turkey we call her henny penny but uh, <laughs> she comes in and eats out of our feeders and you know the deer and the and the wildlife certainly dispersed and, and went to higher ground when the floodwaters came in and but they'll return here pretty pretty quickly and uh, in fact the deer i think just went across the canal and and uh, found a little refuge uh, just about a block away but uh, they'll be back in in the oxbow uh, area there in Sertoma park and and be be a part of our landscape here soon again so i think the important thing is you guys are open and we are open for business yes open for business and uh, yeah folks can stop in if they need information uh, certainly always uh, appreciate folks stopping in the chance to get to visit with them keeping one eye do we got any uh, yeah. any more possibilities of i mean I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the one thing the public needs to be aware of uh, especially in a timely fashion is the uh, governor did issue a uh, a proclamation closing the uh, big sioux river and the uh, uh, skunk creek and uh, split rock creeks in minnehaha uh, lincoln and union counties to recreational use that includes uh, prohibition on all boating kayaking uh, swimming any kind of recreational use at least for the time being <laughs> until that's rescinded so uh, those areas are closed for public safety purposes obviously if uh, somebody gets in trouble on the big sioux river all the emergency management uh, uh, response uh, uh, resources would have to be redirected to help them out and and uh, given the situation that we're working through and we'll be working through here over the next two or three weeks with additional floodwaters coming down the big sioux river uh, we just felt that was an important thing and thank the governor for for issuing that proclamation perfect but thea you're going on situation normal classes programming yeah the city um you know mayor paul tenhaken and his um emergency crew have given us fair warning that there might be some more water coming but they're optimistic for our park this time they're saying that we're on the right side of the the river um channel and that that's going to help us out so i'm i'm keeping my fingers crossed that they're correct and uh Hopefully they'll divert most of the water around the city of Sioux Falls this time because the majority of it will be coming in from the north. So unless we have a giant um, rainfall event, we're hoping we'll be okay. Perfect. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for your time. You guys stay high and dry. Thanks. Nice stay to be in the same room as you. Yeah, we never get Usually to we're it. just shouting out yeah. over the <laughs> airwaves. <laughs> Modern technology. So awesome, you guys. Amazing. Appreciate it. Thanks. thanks. Just pass by without saying hi to me Like a time flying Just pass by without saying bye to me yeah. Alright, well welcome back to the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Podcast and Blast I'm here with my friend Mark Ermer Who is somehow got dug out of the Webster area And uh, had to come to Pier for some other stuff So I thought I'd grab him Mark um, you are the regional fisheries program manager. Is Sounds good. Right? Yeah, that yeah, works. That's, that's Close true. enough. Uh, you're kind of the guy who keeps track of all the lakes up in the northeast part of the state, uh, my home country. Um, talking about, got a lot of people calling. I'm sure you're hearing it too, asking about, you know, winter kill and, and where our lakes are going or coming or going to end up being, uh, you know, come springtime. Uh, 
Just talk about that for a little bit. Yeah, we get that every year, and especially on a year like this where we've got obviously got a lot of snow and, and ice out there. So the big question is, what's going to kill and what isn't? And we actually, in the his, back history, we used to go out and dissolved oxygen, test those waters throughout the year and kind of try to predict which lakes would kill and which didn't. And we've stopped doing that. We haven't done that for 15 years or so. And the reason we stopped is because um, it just wasn't a very good predictor of what would actually happen in the end. And, and not only that, but even if we knew that a lake was killing, we didn't have any tools to do anything about it, really. So winter kill is a part of life in our world, and we're okay with that. Um, in, in some cases, it can certainly be a benefit. When we get populations of fish that uh, you know get dominated by rough fish and carp that are the only ones that can make it through winters like this, we're better off if they all die because we can come back into that system. Obviously, this year we're going to get a spring rise and we're going to get some more water in these lakes. They're going to be better than they were last year, and it creates a great opportunity for us to stock game fish into those systems brand new and they typically do very well if they're the only fish in the system so you know as far as what how many are going to kill we're certainly going to have some this year I, I don't know you know i've only gotten a handful of reports this year which is kind of unusual usually we hear from ice anglers saying hey i see a dead fish underneath the ice but quite frankly we've had so little fishing going on because the access has been so difficult that i just don't think those reports are coming so it's not like I think we won't have any. I just think we haven't heard about them. And we won't know until the ice starts going off and see what we got. But we certainly went into that fall and a pretty tough winter. I would expect that we would have some winter kill this year. What goes into, what are the factors that that ultimately winter kill a lake? I mean, obviously lack of oxygen. But yep. why would a, yeah. even, like maybe even a seemingly healthy lake, quote unquote, uh, be more susceptible to winter. Yeah, it, it basically it is that oxygen that runs out. And what creates the, the what, what causes the oxygen to run out is the snow cover is the real key, right. sunlight. So sunlight uh, gets absorbed by the things in the water, the algae and stuff, and they're growing and they create oxygen through the process of photosynthesis. So if you get some light penetration, people don't think you get much, but when there's no snow on the ice, you're still generating oxygen. Algae is still living. So that, that, adds oxygen all the time to your lake now as soon as you put a heavy blanket of snow over top of it now you're just using oxygen at that point there's no more production going on and as those weeds and at the bottom things in the lake they start to decompose you're losing oxygen through that process so the lake at that point just slowly starts it has the oxygen it's going to have and it's just a matter of time how long it can last and in long snow covered winters like we've had that oxygen will just run out sometimes. A lot of questions and people asking me, especially when I was home, right, uh, not too uh, not too long ago, you know, why don't you guys go out and aerate lakes? Is that obviously not a possibility or how, You know, there, or? there's a few lakes that have tried that through the years, you know, and, and that probably led us to early days of us doing oxygen testing and stuff. There was probably, there was more of that. But what was the result of that in many times was that, even with an aerator going, it wasn't successful in keeping, you know, people think you put one bubbler in one spot right. of the lake and all the fish will go there and they'll be safe right. and all good. And what we saw in many cases that even with a one aerator going in the lake, the fish killed anyways. So on a very large scale for all the lakes and all the acres that we manage in the Northeast, there's just no way that we could run an aerator to aerate all parts of all lakes. And really, like again, like I said, winter kill is not a bad thing in our part of the world. It's really sad to see those big, beautiful, fat walleyes die, and we'll have some of those this spring. 
but it's part of life and where we live and it's part of what makes our lakes so productive is that we can clean those, and they do. If they get cleaned out and there's no fish in them and we can stock those like a new lake, they can be incredibly productive and we can have fish, better fisheries back in a matter of three years and a lot of times. So, Are there fish... Like walleyes, uh, perch, northerns, you know, our, our game fish, our target species, are they more susceptible to winter kill than rough fish? Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, in, a, in a bad winter, uh, the game fish are almost always going to disappear before carp and bullheads and fathead minnows. Those are the three things that they're actually pretty difficult to kill. And to get a complete kill is kind of, you know, pretty tough. Takes a pretty tough winter. But Certainly the game fish, when those dissolved oxygen levels start getting for long periods of time below two or something like that, they're just not going to make it. Whereas a bullhead or a carp might just lay low down in the bottom sediments, not do anything, just almost shut down, and they're going to make it when your readings are zero sometimes. So, yeah, they're just, uh, the game fish will drop out very quickly, and what you'll have left is rough fish. And that's why... These rough fish populations in several of our marginal lakes can build up because year after year there's these what we call partial winter kills happening and all the game fish get knocked off and then only ones that are left are bullheads and carp and those biomasses just build and build and build. So like I said, if I'm going to have a winter kill, I want it to be really complete and knock everything out because then I start with a great new fresh slate. You know, I I went to Siston a couple days before Christmas I saw one snowbank in Webster, and that was the only snow I saw. Having a late snow or even a late winter, does that help those lakes? I mean, you know, I, I had friends even, you know, after that first big snow up in the northeast, they said, man, these lakes are covered, but we'll be fine because we got such a late snow cover on these lakes. We should be fine. Is there any validity to that? Yeah, or? absolutely. You know, when I, like the key I talked about was when do we get that cover of snow? When does the blanket go on that shuts off all oxygen production? And this year we did make it to Christmas time with no snow on our ice generally. So we got through, uh, you know, a quarter to almost half of our winter with conditions very favorable for fish survival. So, yeah, as much as I suspect that we'll have some winter kills and certainly some shallow waters that didn't have much oxygen to give, those will die. But I'm not anticipating large, overwhelming winter kill up there because, like you said, we made it to Christmas without that blanket. This would have been a totally different conversation if we would have gotten that snow in late October or November and been covered all winter. We would have expected a lot worse situation. Sure. Talk a little bit about, you know, I I know the conditions are tough up there. You know, I talked to you about one of my friends trying to get a a shack off the back end of Buffalo Lake, and it took them, you know, seven hours, and they felt pretty fortunate (laughs) to only have them take that long. Talk about, um, there's people really like, man, we'd like to be able to fish, but we just can't get on the lake. Talk about our access program. How many lakes do you guys try to keep open, at least at the access, in in a normal year? You know, we've been doing this for going on about three years or so, you know, as far as ramping up our efforts to try to do some kind of winter access provide you know, provide access to those lakes. And we'll do, we have some, several contractors spread out mm-hmm. around the Northeast and we target obviously the places that people are fishing or the most popular lakes. So we have uh, on Bitter Lake and we have on Wabay Lake and we have, 
you know, I think, I, I, I don't know the number for sure, but we probably got six to eight lakes in the Northeast that we do something on a weekly basis sure. to try to open that. And what we do, we don't do it every day, all the time. Right. We try to do the best we can. We go, we have our contractors or our staff go out there on a Thursday or Friday and try to clear those accesses or the parking lot for the weekend. Right. And if the wind blows on Saturday, that's Come on, the wind uh, unfortunately, blow up there. yeah, it, 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 you, all of your work is gone <laughs> right. as soon as the yeah. wind blows. So it's it's a tough, it's a real challenge for us to do that. We're doing what we can to try to provide some benefit to the people that are trying to use those. Sometimes it's as simple as uh, just clearing out the parking lot. You know, we don't go down the lake, and we right. certainly don't ever go out on the ice. But we provide a place where they could park their rig, undo their snowmobile or, you know, ATV or something, and then get out on the lake and enjoy the fishing. So we're doing what we can, but understand that access in the wintertime in northeastern South Dakota with snow and wind and ice, it's a real challenge, and, and we're trying to do the best we can. Uh, I think, you know, and some of the people that were talk, that I was talking to, they were like, man, you go up to Devil's Lake and, you know, and, or Lake of the Woods, and they got all these trails plowed, and I... And I you know, reminded them, remember, those are the resorts that are doing yeah. that, you know, driving that traffic there. And, and, you know, honestly, a lot of those times you go up to Lake of the Woods and, and Devil's Lake, if resorts didn't do that, there's no way anybody would be really fishing. Right. And we're seeing actually a little bit more of that, something we've never seen before. But this winter we did have, we have some commercial operators that are right. renting shacks on Bitter Lake. And that was one of the places where people fished more than any other lake this winter because there was commercial interest out there renting eight or ten shacks out there every night and they were maintaining roads so their clients can get in and out. Right. Now obviously the rest of the public was to some extent taking advantage of those sure. roads but again that's that's how it's developed and how it's worked in Minnesota and we're not a whole lot different here. So. Right. You know sun's shining today we're getting some melt uh, definitely people got um, you know cabin fever want to get out kick around what are you, uh, what do you recommend, you know, say I was home and I was on the backside of Buffalo Lake and I saw a whole slug of fish uh, that are dead. Should people be contacting you and, and your office calling you in Webster, Watertown, Aberdeen and, and just saying, hey, or, or yeah. are you guys on top of it? Or No, absolutely. We want those reports. And, and I, I tell it to all the staff and whether you don't have to tell it to fishery staff. I mean, we've told the local COs when they see situations like that, they're driving around the spring, they see the bellies. Now, we don't have to know about every single little puddle of water everywhere because we're going to see dead fish in lots of places. But if it's on a lake that we obviously are trying to manage, you know, has a boat ramp on it, place that we stock, place that we survey, then absolutely we want that information from the public. And you can call anyone. You can call your local CO. You can call our local office. And that information will get to us. And, uh, and we'll use that. We start developing that list in the spring and say, hey, there's some reports of some dead fish here or here or here. And we We've already got our list of lakes that we're going to go and immediately sample those lakes in the right. spring, see where we're at with what's left, and uh, make a plan for restocking or a strategy. Right. Well, it's good that, to give you guys, you fishers, guys and gals, something to do in the spring because you're not busy spawning yeah, fish. Yeah, sometimes it takes us a little <laughs> while to get to that, but May right. is a pretty good month for us to get to after that. But right. yeah, obviously when the ice goes off, we're really gung-ho on walleye spawning and northern pike moving, right. but uh, 
we'll get to those, and that's really good. That's in, real important information because we, we do. We want to know if it's a complete kill, and you know that lake is prime for stocking. If we can turn around and have some fish available, which we do often, you know the fish come out of the hatchery as fry, walleyes, for say, right. in uh, you know mid to late May. So if we get that information early in May, we can turn around and get that thing stocked, and two or three years from now have a great fishery. Right. So, what about if if somebody sees you know we see it a lot in it, in the in the kills, but you know maybe in the later spring where will you'll get a big rough fish kill where those. Those fish are in shallow spawning, you know, carp or suckers or whatever, uh, lack of oxygen, they die. And we'll get these calls, you know, oh, there's thousands of walleyes on whatever dead. And, you know, typically it's it's rough fish. Do you, is there any validity or any help in, you know, if somebody sees a, you know, a fish kill, take a snap a picture and go, you know, yeah. sending it to us on our Facebook page or yeah. getting it to one of us. And, and you can actually at least look at it and go, okay, it's right. Yeah, it's the photos are great. Right. That's the way to go. Everyone's got one in their hand. Right. Easy, snap it, email it, send it, do whatever you want. That's a great method for us to get a whole bunch of information right away. Because you're right, we get a lot of reports, and sometimes the fish species identification isn't right. We don't really know what's there, and it turns into sure. sometimes a wild goose chase. But, man, if we got a picture of what's going out there, we we can sum up right away what we need to do and what, what's going on. So that's a, that's a great, great way to go. Cool. Well, thanks for your time, man. I hope... Uh we don't get too quick of a melt, and I and, uh, appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, it's going slow so far, so, I mean, it's kind of metering out a little bit. The snow has definitely settled down, and hopefully to the point where we can get out on the ice a little bit better. It's still tough now, right. but it's getting better every day, and by this weekend, I think a lot of that snow on the ice will either be melted and refroze or just easier to get around, so I hope so. Cool. Thanks for your time, man. Yep. Appreciate it. Just pass by without saying hi to me Like a time flying Just pass by without saying bye to me That's all we got for this episode. Thanks for listening. We also have a quick podcast out on our Facebook page talking about snow geese uh, and that massive migration that comes through this time every year. So go to the South Dakota Game Fishing Parks Facebook page and look for the Blizzard Watch postings, and you should find that there. But enough of the chit-chat. Go outside and make some memories this weekend. Still some ice fishing to be done, but be careful, be smart when you're out there. Tell people where you're going, fishing groups, watch those edges. Um, if you're an ice fisherman, just be smart. Till next time, shoot straight, set the hook, and have a great weekend. It's down the bar way.